This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspective. Nancy's a chartered financial analyst. Who wouldn't want an additional income stream? And if you can earn the extra cash without working 9 to 5, all the better. Today, we'll be learning about passive income. It doesn't mean no hard work, just different work. Nancy can take your personal finance questions as well. Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, just curious, you have been joining us uh, throughout the summer from North Carolina, I believe. And here in Mississippi, thought we might be getting some fall weather. Temperatures back in yeah. the 90s this week. What What's the temperature up, up where you are? Well, um, it had been dipping into the 50s and even into the high 40s in the morning. But like you guys, it's starting to warm back up. And I'm sitting in my basement actually watching a white squirrel uh, burying all of the things getting ready for the winter. So uh, <laughs> that's what we see up here. Well, that's a good sign then. So um, so what's, uh, what's on your mind financially speaking this week? Well, there's several things going on, uh, important dates coming up. And we talked last week about the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. October 1st, which is just around the corner, is the date when they're going to release that application. So uh, be watching for that. Also, if you're a Medicare recipient, open enrollment starts October 15th and goes through December 7th. And we've had questions from people saying, well, you know, should I go back and look at that? Because once you've chosen a plan, you're not stuck with that plan. But for most people who have Part A, Part B, and then Part D, they'll probably stay with that same alphabet, but the Part D relates to your um, medicines that you take. And so if you've had a change in the types of medicines that you take, you might want to go back and review Part D to make sure that the company and the policy that you're using still fits. Um, the other thing I'm watching very closely is the IPO market. So, Kevin, do you know what IPO stands for? Initial Public Offering. Oh, A+. plus. Yes, you've been listening. So an initial public offering is the first time a company will offer shares to the public. And so they go to the public marketplace, which requires a lot of disclosure, a lot of work to get ready. And uh, so when you have an IPO, you have this group that's involved, investment bankers. And so the investment banker's job is to try to get the best price for the company, the price per share that they can when it becomes public. And um, you usually have a group of them that's called a syndicate. And then there will be a lead investment banker called the lead underwriter. And so when we start to see IPOs, that's actually a positive sign for the overall economy because, of course, they want to get the best price possible. So we're watching as the markets have been declining, and today we're hearing about more declines as we wait for the Federal Reserve to announce another interest rate increase. 
But the fact that we're starting to see IPOs is actually a positive one for me. One that we've seen um, that's getting ready is Instacart. And so Instacart is the the grocery shopping one. They're going to do a little something different. They're offering their shares mostly to their employees. And we always get questions from people saying, well, how do I get in on these IPOs? Well, it's really, really difficult because unless you have an in, like with Instacart, and they're doing it for their employees, you have to have a pretty big account at one of these uh, special investment banker brokerage houses. And they're offered to their favorite or their special um, uh, account holders there. So it's very difficult to get them before they actually start trading on the open market. When they trade on the open market, it's no longer an IPO. It's now just in the secondary market. And a big caution in all of this with most IPOs, what we have seen from research is a year later, they are typically trading at a lower price per share than when they went public. So it's a lot of hype in this. One that just uh, went public yesterday was Rumble, and uh, that is the one that is the conservative social media site. And it came through what's called a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. It's one of the ways they get around a lot of this disclosure. But the big caution with any IPOs, and there's several in the pipeline right now, again, positive signs for the overall economy, is to be careful what you're buying. Sometimes you're just buying hype and a bunch of debt. Make sure you're buying a good business and you want to have a share in a business that's producing good earnings. Uh, If I could circle back to Medicare for just a minute, Um, is Part D the Medicare Advantage plans that we see all the – No, no, that's that's something different. Okay. Um, Part C is Medicare Advantage. So if you do Part C, and I don't recommend that especially for people in Mississippi, um, then it is an all-inclusive. So it's going to include typically your um, Part B and your Part D and your Medicare policy. Um, But if you do uh, the A and the B on your own and then Part D, then you would also have a Medicare policy on top of that. But Nancy, J.J. Walker, Joe Namath, yeah. Captain yeah. Kirk, they're all telling us we need that. Yeah, and then you're sold on the idea that, you know, it's not going to cost you anything. And um, the value of these policies depends on the state where you are located. Uh, again, Mississippi's Part C plans, Advantage plans, often are not um, accepted in many places, and so that's the problem that you run into. If you travel, as we do, we bounce back and forth between Mississippi and North Carolina, then we want to make sure we have plans that will cover us wherever we are and we're not limited by a certain group of providers. And I think it always uh, should raise your antenna when a commercial ends and there's that uh, three paragraphs of little tiny print at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've run into a lot of people who tried the Advantage plan, the Part C, and um, and then when it came open enrollment time, they changed their minds. So we are going to be talking today about passive income. Uh, so, Nancy, first tell us what passive income is. Well, um, most of the time when we talk passive income, we're talking rental income. That's generally what people are talking about, but there are other ways of using that term. And um, it's income coming from a source where it's not considered earned income, W-2 income, coming from some other source. Again, rental property is the typical one, but it could be something like um, royalties from a book. 
Um, even stock dividends have that passive nature to it because you are not earning those as far as producing labor to earn them. You have just invested in something which is now producing income for you. Um, it certainly isn't work-free uh, income, as, especially if rental income is the no, top one. No. Yeah, and that's with uh, rental property. The big caution with all of this, even though you hear passive income, and this sounds like a pretty good deal because I'm just going to um, just collect income every month, as a friend of mine used to call it, the mailbox money that just shows up in your mailbox because you are participating or you're an owner in something that is generating income. But with rental property, you're going to have to put out money up front, and you're going to then be a landlord. And anybody who's ever been a landlord can tell you it can be a lot of work. So you're just bouncing along. You're earning 9%. It's great. And then the air conditioner goes out. Uh, the sewer line breaks. And if you are the owner of the property, if you are the landlord, then you are responsible to fix that. And so you have these lumpy expenses that pop up. So with any kind of passive income, the real caution is, first of all, how much money do you have to put out up front? If you have to buy a piece of property, you're talking about a down payment. You're going to have to take on a mortgage. We're just now hearing about mortgage rates popping up over 6%, and the expenses start to rise. You are responsible for expenses in the meantime. Even if you're an owner of a business, maybe you're not participating in managing the business you still are responsible if something happens within that business and they need a cash infusion. You're going to have to ante up. Yeah, uh, my parents were uh, landlords for a little while in the town they live in upstate New York that happens to be a college town. And so they had the extra burden of renting to college students. And oh, so boy. they were not in that business for very long. Um, yeah, it, it takes a special type of person to do that. And a lot of real estate agents that I've run into are very good at it. You've got to have a good Rolodex, um, and you've got to not get rattled when things come your way, and you also need to have a pretty deep purse to handle those lumpy expenses. So uh, extra income means extra tax liability. How would someone who's getting this passive income prepare uh, for the additional income stream? Well, it's going to vary. So for people who own rental property, they know one of the biggest advantages is all the expenses that you can take off on your taxes. So those are tax deductions because it is a rental business, and any kind of business has its own set of deductions. Um, in the rental business, you have the added expense of depreciation. So depreciation is um, – it assumes that that piece of property is going to decline in value as it ages. You cannot depreciate land, but you can depreciate the structures on the land. And so that's the biggest advantage with rental property because you have such a big deduction on your income taxes, which lowers that amount that you have to pay tax on. So you have this nice cash flow of rental income coming in every month. And then, uh, especially on the front end, when you have larger depreciation amounts, very little tax to pay at that point. Um, for other types of income, again, if it's in a business, you have to look at what are all my business expenses and can I um, justify the various things that I do that I would call that business expense. Um, for dividend income, it's very different because, you know, that's not a business. 
but dividend income generally is taxed at a lower rate than regular income if it's in a taxable account. That means not a retirement account. So uh, dividend income is going to be taxed probably about 15%. This is Money Talks. If you have a question for Nancy this morning, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion of adding a passive income stream to your cash flow. How many Americans do earn passive income? Do you think it's 5, 10, maybe 20%? We'll tell you next. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives. So, uh, Nancy, we had a little trivia question. Uh, how many Americans pr- uh, do earn passive income? Do you think it's 5 10 or 20%? What's your guess? Oh, well, I think I'm going to go down the middle. I might have said 5% a few years ago, but things are changing. Um, I'm going to go with 10%. According to data from the U.S. Census Bureau, 20% of American households wow. earn passive income either through dividends, interest, or rental properties. Among those households who do have passive income, the medium, a median amount is $4,200 a year. So That's, that's a, a pretty big amount. Yeah. yeah. And do they count um, income occurring within retirement accounts? I, I don't know. I only have what's written on the script. <laughs> I know that. How did they produce that stat? Uh, we're going to be talking about passive income throughout the hour, but we do have a caller on the line, I think, who has a Medicare question. So we say good morning to Gail from Long Beach. Gail, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I'm a little older than my husband, but uh, we have TRICARE, and supposedly next year I'll be 65. Not supposedly, I will be 65. And um, I'm told that I have to pick up Medicare. Now, do I pick up, do I have to pick up B and pay for that, even though I have TRICARE? How does that work? Yeah, you have an unusual situation because TRICARE is generally for military people. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, he's retired military. Okay. And um, so if you're older than your husband, then he still has to stay with the regular TRICARE. Uh, yeah, you've got, a, you've got an unusual situation because you're on a plan with him and you're having to move over to Medicare. Um, most of the time what we've seen with TRICARE is once you move to Medicare, the TRICARE becomes like your Medicare policy, that it covers what Medicare will not cover. Um, But I think you probably need to call the TRICARE people to find out because of this split in the ages um, that there may be some exception for you to stay on until he reaches Medicare um, eligibility and you both move over. But it's an odd situation. Um, TRICARE is a great plan and I, I think you're still probably going to go with A, B, and D, and then have TRICARE as your Medigap. That's typically what we've seen. But check with them, again, because of this difference in your ages and because you're actually not the main person being covered. Your husband is. So um, even though we have to pay for TRICARE, we're still going to have to pay for Part B and D? Well, um, it's it's going to change. So if... TRICARE becomes your Medigap policy covering what B and D don't cover. It should drop down in price, so there should be an offset. But check with them to see how that will function. Okay, thank you much. 
Thank you, Gail, for your call. If you have a personal finance question or want to join our conversation about passive income, you can always send us an email to money at mpbonline.org. We do have some open phone lines, so uh, now is a chance to call in if you want to join our conversation today. We're getting Nancy's uh, opinion on a recent bankrate.com article on passive income ideas. So let's start with some ideas that don't take a lot of investment capital. You can create a course, write an ebook sell photography online, or create an app. Uh, Nancy, how possible is it to add to income with one of these types of endeavors? Well, certainly you can, and there are a lot of companies out there looking for creative content. They're looking for people who have certain skills who want to produce that content. In anything like this that you're trying to do, whether it's you know selling a book, selling a painting, selling photography, all of those things – you have to consider how do I access those customers who will pay me for this. And so you have to think about, well, is there already a, an online platform that I can use? For instance, if I'm going to do a book, I can do an ebook, I can publish my own book, and I can have it put on Amazon. Understand that any of these online platforms are going to get their money first. And so you are going to be giving up something so that you can access their customers. And it may be worth it for you to do that. Um, certainly with Amazon, uh, the big complaint we've heard many times is that once you put your product, whatever it is, out there on Amazon, even though people are buying it, it takes a long time for Amazon to send you some money. Um, again, they're going to get their money up front. You know, when I use my Amazon account, as soon as I hit submit order, um, my credit card gets hit, but Amazon doesn't pay their vendors for quite a while, sometimes as, as long as 90 days. And so you will see that lag and all of that. So be careful with anything like that. Um, if you're going to do any sort of courses like uh, Coursera, check to find out what is their arrangement with their producers, with their content providers. How do they pay you? What is the split? How does this function? And, you know, you're also trusting them that they're tracking um, correctly how many people are buying that and using those services. Um, if you're going to do – I mentioned Amazon before. There are other books, uh, online platforms that you can use for photography, uh, Getty Images, and Shutterstock. Again, what is their arrangement with the suppliers and the, the content providers, how can you expect to get your money, and how will it function? I've heard a lot of horror stories where people produce really good content, use their creative skills, and don't feel like they're getting paid appropriately. Remember, there's always going to be a trade-off between um, what you're going to earn and then the access to the customers. And when you put it out there on an online platform, you're hoping that you're going to make up that difference that you're discounting with the volume of people purchasing the item. And I would imagine that this is covered in a lot of the agreements that you enter into with these companies, but as the content creator, you need to make sure that your material, your work is somehow protected so that you get what you deserve from it, I guess. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they can, you know, take you off their platform at any time. I mean, that's probably their right to do that. We're talking about passive income streams on Money Talks today. Nancy also looks for your personal finance questions. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. 
If you do have some startup cash or assets, a few ideas to generate extra income would be to flip retail products, rent out a parking space, advertise on your car, or rent out useful household items. Nancy, uh, any of those uh, grab your attention? Boy, I've seen several people advertising on cars, and I've wondered what the arrangement is. Do you have to show that you spend so much time on the road every day? Do you have to show where you travel? Uh, and do they put a dollar amount based on how much you circulate? Certainly, I saw uh, when I was at Mississippi College, some of the college students had that on their cars. College students are great because they're always on the go, and uh, people are seeing those things out there. And uh, so that would be one thing. Renting out a parking space, I don't know that that's going to work too well in Mississippi. Certainly, if you're in New York City, um, that would be valuable to do that. And um, even uh, flipping retail products, because I know a lot of people who do that, they love to go to garage sales. Uh, they haunt uh, all these old consignment places, and they find things and turn around and sell them online, typically is what they do. And uh, you have to have a good eye, and you also need to know that when you make those purchases, you're putting out cash up front that you may not get back. Uh, my uh, late father-in-law owned an auto parts store for many years, and he would always say being in the retail business, it's more important what you buy than what you sell. So you have to have a good eye and know that when you buy something, the whole idea is to turn around and sell it. And it may sit on a shelf for a while, and you're stuck with that, and you've put out the cash for it waiting for a return. Um, I think one of the uh, areas where the renting out the parking space might be uh, helpful is in a college town. Again, I know uh, my brother who graduated from Florida State University. Uh, we often travel to Tallahassee for a game each uh, fall, and we end up usually parking in a church parking lot. And so a lot of times ah, yeah. they're renting out spaces because the parking near the stadium can be really, really expensive. And so if there's just a short walk to the stadium, a lot of these churches and, and businesses and even private uh, uh, houses will rent out parking space and seems to be a pretty good uh, business there uh, to cater to the football crowd. Well, and a lot of people in college towns will then um, leave town for the weekend and convert their places to Airbnbs. And so that's another way of generating some passive income, and hopefully there's not a lot of risk there. Um, if you're running out useful household items, do you think there's a, a, a liability concern to be worried about? Hmm, I think that would depend on the item. Um, you know, and we've talked about this many times, how we – as households seem to double up on things. So everybody has a lawnmower, everybody maybe has a weed eater and uh, a blower, things like that, that maybe uh, instead of each household having a, that set of items, that you can have a way of swapping back and forth. And whether it's just trading out usage or actually paying somebody for the use of an item for a certain amount of time, I think that would be a reasonable approach to do. Uh, it makes sense. It's all back to this notion, and it goes back to Airbnb or even the Uber model of there are things that we own, assets, that we don't use all the time. And instead of letting those assets sit idle, for instance, a car sitting idle in your garage, 
Instead, you are renting it out. You're renting out the use of that. So that would fit under the same category. And it makes sense as a way for us to generate extra income and make sure our assets, if we view them as assets, are also providing an income and doing the best for us. This is Money Talks. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion of adding passive income to your portfolio. Where do Americans who earn the most passive income live? New York, Los Angeles, Miami? We'll have that for you next. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and a chartered financial analyst. All right, Nancy, so uh, according to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, where do you think most uh, passive income earners live? New York, Los Angeles, or Miami? Oh, wow. Hmm. I'm going to go with Miami. That's right. Florida is home to a larger share of retirees who tend to depend on passive income to cover their living expenses. So makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, everybody wants to go to Florida. Nice uh, weather, the beaches and that sort of thing. I don't understand that because it's it's beastly hot, right, during the summertime? Yes, but that's what the pool is for. (laughs) Well, and it's crowded. Lots of traffic. Well, that's true. Uh, that's that's very true. That's one of the advantages of having a relative who lives actually on the beach is that you don't have to worry what, sometimes about the crowds. Although sometimes getting over to the island can be an, an issue. But uh, some so of us have one of those, huh? <laughs> some of us though think it is worth it once you get there. To you know, it's it's worth the trouble. So well, th- there are some beautiful beaches, gorgeous water, all of those things. But then there are sinkholes and there are mosquitoes <laughs> and alligators. <laughs> Nancy, the uh, the Florida Tourism Department is not going to be calling you soon looking for some Probably passive not. income. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are getting uh, uh, Nancy's opinion on a recent bankrate.com article on passive income ideas. Next, a couple of them that it takes money to make money. So, Nancy, let's first talk about dividend stocks. And my question is, how important do you think a dividend is when you're choosing which stocks to invest in? Well, let's go back to the example of rental properties. So if I buy a piece of rental property, um, I'm going to invest a certain amount of money in that property, and um, I'm going to earn my income or earn a return on that two different ways. I'm going to earn money while I hold the property. That's going to be rent every month. And then I'm going to earn when I sell the property, when I'm finally done and I get rid of it. So I have proceeds. So those are the two ways I'm going to generate a return, money while I hold the asset and then money when I sell the asset. Well, that works with stocks, too. So if I buy stock, then there's a possibility of earning while I own the stock, and that's going to be a dividend. Some companies pay dividends. Some do not pay dividends. Some pay very high dividends. Some pay a small amount in dividends. But whatever they pay is part of your overall return. And then when I sell the stock, the proceeds I generate, that's part of my return as well. So if I'm going to buy a company that doesn't pay dividends because they're a growth company and they're holding on to all of their cash so they can grow the company, then I'm counting on all of my money coming at the end, meaning I'm going to sell it for a lot higher than what I bought it for. But if I buy a company that's been around for a while, it's not really in growth mode, it's sending out a lot of its cash in dividends to its shareholders, 
then more of my return is going to come during the period of time while I just sit and hold the stock. So dividends are important. They're also important for people who need to generate an income. And a lot of our clients are retired. They need some income. So that adds to that pool of cash that comes to them. Most dividends are paid quarterly. And, you know, a dividend is pretty much money in the bank because companies don't like to reduce their dividends or stop their dividends. That's going to really hurt their stock price dramatically. And so they will continue to pay out those dividends as much as they can. They will raise those dividends along the way. So dividends are also great inflation hedges. So right now we've been talking about inflation and very high inflation. As prices go up, Companies have more cash sitting in the bank because they've been able to raise their prices, and they will pass that on as a rule to their shareholders. Not all of it. They're not going to give out all of their cash. They have to keep a certain amount to keep the company going and the business going. But it is a nice inflation hedge. And finally, for dividends, they have an advantage as far as taxation. I mentioned this earlier. They are taxed at a lower rate than your income tax rate. So typically you can expect your top rate on dividends to be about 15%. And for somebody that might be paying 34% on their income, that is a big break. Now, having said that, if those dividends are happening within retirement accounts, you don't pay tax on them anyway. So any kind of dividends, interest, capital gains that happen within a retirement account, you do not report on that because those are tax-deferred accounts. And you will only have to pay taxes when you start to take money out when you retire. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got a caller on the line. It looks like Megan from Jackson wants to join our passive income conversation. Good morning, Megan. What do you have for us? Good morning. Good good uh, conversation this morning. So if I've uh, called this idea in before, please excuse me, but it seems like such a no-brainer and a win-win-win situation. So here's my thinking. Um, I'm a big fan of tiny homes, and there are a lot of people that are being priced out of real estate, especially in this past, I'd say, two years. And with the interest rates going up, just even more so. So so are rentals. So people that want to get in a home, you know, something that they own that doesn't depreciate, like, say, a mobile home, could purchase a tiny home. And um, then you got to think, okay, well, where am I going to park it? Um, There are a lot of homeowners that have excess land that's just sitting there (laughs) like land does that could lease a small area for these people to put their tiny homes on. So it's a win for the uh, person that owns the home because they're actually, they're in their own little home and they're paying on it. It's not, it doesn't depreciate like, as I said, mobile homes. So they're getting sort of into the real estate market, even though it's uh, not traditional, but, but they are, you know, they're working on something that they own. And the homeowner is receiving passive income, you know, for land that's otherwise just sitting there vacant. So, and also it, it reduces urban sprawl, I think. If it if this really caught on in, in a market, you know, it reduces the need to grab up more land and develop it. So what are your thoughts on that? 
I think it's a great idea. Now, this is what you're going to run into, Megan, and that's zoning. So if you are within a city limits, you're going to run into some zoning issues if you try to take a piece of your property and put a tiny home on it. So first things first is check with the local zoning commission to see if this is allowed. Um, Here in North Carolina, there's actually a development of tiny homes, and they are wonderful. Um, Now, most of them look like they are mobile, so I'm not sure when you say depreciation if this is going to apply here. Um, If it's on a slab, that would be one situation, but these look like they have wheels on them so that they can be moved like a mobile home. So they might depreciate in the same way. But the first thing is to look at what the zoning is. If you want to purchase a tiny home, you need to check with your local banker or your mortgage company to see what their rules are because they may not lend out in the same way. They may require a bigger down payment. They may not lend out at all on a tiny home. Uh, But some of them are so well done that this would be a way for some people to get in. Now, I've also seen some of the HGTV programs where the tiny homes are, you know, $100,000 and plus. That doesn't seem like a great deal for somebody trying to break into this market. So if it truly is a tiny home with a lower price, it would be a way for people to own a home. But again, Check zoning if you own the property and you want to make use of that. If you want to purchase a tiny home, check on the lending side. Who will lend you money and how will it work? And finally, check into that depreciation that you mentioned. All right, so Megan, thank you for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got another caller on the line to get to. So now we'll move to, um, well, we lost one. So let's go to... Uh, Jimmy in Greenville, I think, has a Medicare question. Jimmy, you're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. What do you have uh, for us today? I don't have a question. Uh, I was listening to the caller that had a question concerning uh, TRICARE and Medicare. Um, the answer to her question is that to continue to be enrolled into TRICARE, she must enroll in Medicare Part B. It's mandatory that she she enrolls in Part B to maintain TRICARE. Right, and that's versus doing an Advantage plan. And does that TRICARE then become like the Medigap policy that covers what Part B doesn't? Yeah, uh, TRICARE becomes a secondary insurance. Yeah, good. Great. Great information, Jimmy. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Thanks, Jimmy, for joining our conversation this morning. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, Mary has a credit card question. Mary, you're on the air with us. Your turn. Go ahead. Yes, this is asking a third opinion about this question. I have a credit card that's just won about $5,000 now, and I can't seem to get it paid down. also have a car payment, which is like almost 6000 I have some money in an IRA. I was wondering... Um, would it be smart to take money out of the IRA and pay the credit card off and get that off my back? Mary, how old are you? I'm, <laughs> I'm 66, and I'm okay. still working, and I'm not drawing Social Security yet. Okay, so um, if you are over 59 and a half, and you are, we don't have to worry about the penalty of taking money out of an IRA. All we have to worry about is you're going to pay tax on it. Right. So what is the interest rate on your credit card? Oh, geez, you're asking me a question right now that I... See, I don't know. I just know you that... You know uh, this. 
I know, I know. Uh, I actually, I just got my bill yesterday, and the interest added on a hundred and something dollars. Okay, go back and look on your statement to find out what is that percentage rate. Average rates are in the 15% range. We're seeing those go up with overall interest rates increasing. What is the interest rate you're paying on your car? Oh, you know, I you should know. Yeah. Well, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, she know this stuff. Um, okay, so go find yeah. out what those rates are, all right? And the reason we want to know that is we need to understand, you know, if you have a car payment that's a 0% rate or a very low rate that you got a few years ago, it may make more sense to let that go versus taking money out of your retirement and sacrificing the return that whatever you're earning within the retirement account, and you should know that too, and also paying the taxes. The credit card is another issue because it's going to be a higher rate. I don't know what yours is, but you need to find it. Now, here's something you might want to do because um, the IRS looks at everything as a calendar year, January through December. It is almost October. So what you might consider doing if you look at that credit card and you think, gosh, I'm paying 15 18%, and my IRA account is invested in CDs at the bank and it's earning 2 to 3%, then what you might want to do to kind of soften the blow is take out half of that 5000 now, so it's in 2022 calendar year, and then when you get to January, take out the other half. Now, having said that, if you have CDs in that IRA, make sure you're not going to run into early withdrawal penalties with CDs or particular securities in that. But whether you use that retirement money depends on what is it costing you on those two debts, what are you earning in your retirement account, and what's the tax you're going to pay if you take that money out. So that requires a little bit of math, but my hunch is the credit card might be worth it but go find that and maybe think about splitting it over these two calendar years, 2022 and 2023, so it's a little easier to swallow the tax bill. Okay, I found the uh, interest rate on the, the Discover card. It's 19.49%. Uh, it wow. Yeah, that's a big one. And that's the yeah. reason you're having trouble uh, making a dent in that because the interest is so high. So that's one I think it might be worth your while to look at. But go find that car payment as well. And um, just also bear in mind that whatever you take out of that IRA, if you're still working, as long as you're working and earning money in any calendar year, you can you know, gradually put some of that back into the retirement account. So you are taking a hit, but you might be able to reduce that by some additional amounts going in later years. Okay. All right, Mary, thank you for your call this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Email money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue talking about passive income today. What's one thing you might not be able to do with cash received from a passive income stream? We've got that information for you next. We're pleased you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. A program reminder, Tuesdays at 10, you can listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. It follows our show every Tuesday. 
So according to the IRS, compensation for purposes of contributing to an IRA doesn't include earnings and profits from property such as rental income, interest and dividend income, or any amount received as pension or annuity income or as deferred compensation. We're talking about uh, passive income streams with uh, Nancy. Uh, It's uh, based on a recent bankrate.com article that our producer Liz Gill found. So, uh, Nancy, I think uh, sort of a modern way to uh, earn passive income, and I think this is popular with a lot of younger folks, is um, being a social media influencer. Uh, Kevin, you know we are not part of that <laughs> cohort. You know, I don't, I don't think I've influenced anybody for years. Um, I, I am just intrigued by that. I don't know how it works, but somehow it does. Uh, my daughter was telling me there's this whole group of people that um, they have their children uh, that that are playing with toys and demonstrating how a toy works, and they are paid for doing that. And because children just love to watch other children playing with toys, who knew? Um, don't get them the toy themselves. Just you know, put the video on, <laughs> let them watch it. That's a lot cheaper. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and of course we've heard about uh, the Kardashians and any kind of makeup or hair product that they use, and suddenly it goes through the roof because they have all of these followers, and it all relates to how many followers you have. You know, I think I might have five followers, and they're all related to me. <laughs> so I'm not think I'm influencing anybody along the way, but there are people out there doing it. Um, I would say it's sort of like um, this notion of, you know, when my husband talks about when he was in high school, he's, he, he told his high school teacher that what he wanted to do was to be a professional basketball player. And she looked at him and she said, you know, you might want to consider some other things. You're not very tall. <laughs> um, so it, some people make it to the top. They're only a handful of people who are, are able to generate some income doing that. Um, it's worth a try. Um, certainly you can have YouTube channels and you can have ads. You can sign up to allow advertisers on that and you earn some. I don't know how much income you're really going to see from all that. Well, I, I, I think that there are people that are making a lot of money out there. I know uh, I'm on Snapchat and some, so sometimes go scrolling through there. And the, one of the ones I think that's very popular is the affiliate marketing, where in other words, the kid comes on and says, hey, I keep my teeth white with this thing. And they get, I think, a percentage of, of or some sort of income from the company that they're promoting. And the other thing, I think you're right. If, if, if you can get to where and some of these social media influencers have millions of followers, you know, even if you get a nickel on a YouTube yeah, thing a for a million nickels <laughs> does add up to a lot of money. That's for sure. Um, so let's um, – Let's end our discussion with another one. Um, Nancy, we've got a couple minutes. We've talked about this before, real estate investment trusts. If you could give us a quick right. refresher on that. Well, a real estate investment trust um, is a special kind of a security, and you would purchase it like you would purchase a stock, and they are um, pooling money to buy properties. And you need to find out, well, what kind of properties are they buying? Are they buying apartment complexes? Are they buying commercial properties? Um, There was one that there for a while was buying cemeteries. Um, And the way they're designed and regulated, they have to pass through 90% at least 
of all of their rental income has to be passed through to their shareholders. Now, that is done in the form of a dividend, but as I mentioned earlier, dividends have a special tax treatment. That special tax treatment is not given to real estate investment trust dividends. So be careful with that. So if you use that, because it's a great way, if you're If all you're doing is, I I need income, and this is pretty sure income, it's going to pass through on a regular basis, but you're going to pay income tax at your income tax rate unless you have then parked that into a special tax-deferred or tax-free account, like an IRA or a Roth IRA. Just a reminder, as we wrap things up, one way to get in touch with us when you're not listening on Tuesday mornings at 10 is to send an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. If you send us an email, we'll make sure that Nancy and Ryder review it as well to try to give you an answer, and we might be able to share it on the air as well. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.